Well, it's always great to talk to our friends down in Waco with Sikkim 365. Pete Mundo with you, heartlandcollegesports.com. Of course, how you find us, let's welcome on David Smoke, the brains behind the operation, of course, on the podcast and radio side of things for the folks at Sikkim 365. David, it is always good to have you on. Uh, let's just talk big picture right now for this Baylor team. I thought this team could repeat as Big 12 champs. They're still in the mix going into this Texas Tech game, but with three losses, it's not the year I anticipated early on. What about you and just kind of a, a state of the state for the Baylor football program right now? You know, every Tuesday we get a chance to visit with Baylor's director of athletics and Mac Rhodes. And uh, last Tuesday, Craig asked him, one of the co-hosts, my son Craig, and then about what his thoughts were of where they were, the, the loss in Morgantown, which seemed like it just got away from them. The defense obviously was was not good, and that's supposed to be the strength of the team and at least the front part of it. And uh, he basically just didn't mince any words. He said he was very disappointed. He was uh, that Baylor has to be and will be a uh, relevant when it comes to the uh, national part of college football. And that wasn't a shot at Dave Aranda. It wasn't a shot at the players. It was this is the standard we expect. And, and so – you know, I think he summed it up for everybody. If for my eyes, you know, I hear a lot about, well, they're just so close. You know, they're not putting back-to-back plays together. Last week, let's give an example. They had Kansas State, or they had Kansas, excuse me, down 28-3. to And they had um, a drop touchdown in the end zone that would make it 35-3. to And then the next play, they throw a pick. Now, again, Ben Sims has been one of the more reliable receivers the last couple of years, but he dropped a wide-open pass in the end zone. They've had those kind of plays, and then what happens, it's almost like in golf. Let's say you hit a ball that may be in a hazard, and then your next shot, you make even a worse swing. And then you might be able to save par or bogey, and you're going to be sitting there with a double bogey or triple. And that's kind of who they've been. It has been, I I think it's fair to say, disappointing. Dave Aranda, throughout this year, has been saying, man – we can be that glimpse of what we saw in the first half, or we can be who we were when that game started to slip away in the second half. And that's really been who they were. Now, I thought that when they went to Brigham Young, that game was more than winnable. They had the chance to win the game. They had kicking problems. The defense, of course, did okay, could not contain Jaron Hall, the running back, and yet the offense just couldn't do much. The game, they lost – to Oklahoma State, they give up a 100-yard or whatever kickoff return and then give up another one. And they're about to take the lead and a couple of – and this is not excuses. This is who they have become, where last year they would step on your neck and break it. Like, they rarely did they – now, they, they threw up in, in Fort Worth against Chandler Morris and TCU, which was still kind of mind-boggling. But they just haven't been able to get out of their own way. And that kind of – you know, you win the one-score games and then sometimes it's the other way around and – I don't, I, don't, I don't trust them to go into Lubbock and play really, really well. And here's what I know. It's a very emotional week. Joey McGuire was on this staff. You know that. I, they better match the intensity because I don't think they did at Brigham Young. I don't think they did against Oklahoma State. And then they didn't quite do it in the second half against West Virginia when they had an opportunity to maybe pull away. Uh, Shapin has had a couple. He's been really good. But he's had a couple of just – inexcusable fumbles in the pocket that led to a touchdown return that completely flipped the switch in Morgantown. And then last week it kind of turned Kansas on, you know? So 
they're they're erratic. They're they're not bipolar, but they're erratic. And so it has been that kind of a year. They're fortunate that they won and held on after being up twenty eight to three. I don't see any game that they have the rest of the way they can't win, and yet I don't see any game they have the rest of the way in which I know they will win. So um, that so that's who they are. And last year you just had a feeling, man, they were going to grind you in the dust with the running game. They had a big game with Richard Reese last week. They were going to pound you in the butt. They were going to pound you in the chest. They're going to pound you in the face and wear you down. They really haven't done that much with the offense. And the defense, the secondary is kind of a mess. Young, kind of coverage problems. They can't get to the quarterback. That's a horrible combination for a defense that we thought would be dominant again this year. You bring up some great points there, David, as always. But notably, you say there's not a game I, I see them definitely winning, but there's not a game that they necessarily can't lose either. So what does that say about the Big 12? I mean, you've been covering this league forever. This has got to be, to me, 1 through 10, as deep as we've ever seen the Big 12 and as close as we've ever seen this league in its you know 25 to 30-year history. What about you? I agree. I, I agree. There's always been... You know, even when they were established and Texas won the first championship game against Nebraska, Nebraska was top five, top eight, top ten. And they were in 98, Kansas State was, if it wasn't Nebraska. 99, it was Nebraska and Kansas State. And then, and then of course, it all turned the corner with Oklahoma and Bob Stoops in 2000, and here comes Texas, and always had, like, let's say, two or three teams at the high level. And then you've had some, like, really amazing teams. But there's always a bottom feeder. And, yes, for the longest time it was Kansas. And even now they're starting to slip a little bit. They're no gimme. That's not your – you know, it was homecoming for Baylor, but they're no homecoming opponent anymore. And when they get – if they get Jalen Daniels back, then they're going to be, again, a problem for somebody down the road. Um, I, I, I don't think – I don't see a game – like West Virginia got blown out in Lubbock. And I'm telling you, Pete, if Baylor goes into Lubbock, night game, Patrick Mahomes being honored – Joey McGuire, former team he's coaching against, all that. If they don't go into Lubbock and have a just want to, like, like blood in their eyes, because there's going to be blood. Attack, Lubbock is going to be lit, as they say. They, they could be in trouble, and they could be in trouble early. Now, they have the kind of offense if they can establish to go in and maybe slow things down a little bit. I think they need to do that, and they should be able to score some points. But they can't get to the quarterback. And so back to your point, no, no game. Kansas State quarterback injuries, they're still a tough out. Oklahoma, maybe getting Dylan Gabriel back. Well, first of all, getting Dylan Gabriel back makes them better just because he's back. That doesn't mean they're elite with him, but it now is not this, oh, my God, they're in a free fall. Texas Tech, as I said, I don't know if anyone plays harder day in and day out than they do. And it, usually you say that about a team that's like, okay, they're kind of cute. And they are kind of cute, but they played some good people, a great run in their schedule. Who is a gimme? It's not Oklahoma State. Iowa State hasn't won a conference game. They're not a gimme. Should have beaten Texas two weeks ago if Hutchinson catches that pass and then they fumble again when they get the ball back. West Virginia, despite what happened, they're not a gimme. Baylor can tell you that. So I think it is, and I don't mean to, like, forget somebody. I don't think I did. TCU, my goodness, they're like this year's version, even maybe more explosive than Baylor. Their defense still gives up a lot of stuff, but – no, it, from top to there is no gimme. 
I don't care who's playing this weekend, where they're playing this weekend. It doesn't matter. It is a nightmare to try to predict these games. What about, you mentioned Baylor can't get to the quarterback. I thought that that would be one of their strengths when Jackson Player came in from Tulsa, uh, combine them on that line with some talent already there. Why are they struggling so much in getting to the quarterback? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, Jackson Player has really not been very disruptive, and I thought he would be very, very disruptive. I thought he would be, you know, tackle for losses, getting pressure on the quarterback. And I don't know if you know this, but after the game, when they beat Kansas, Craig told me this, that Jackson put up some sort of a tweet, kind of a negative tone. That's unacceptable from the Dave Aranda approach, or really anybody. It was kind of like broken promises. I never saw it, but this is Craig telling me. Then he deleted it, which is a lot of times kids do. So he may be frustrated. Then the two schools that he was also looking at, Pete, TCU and Oklahoma State, we see what they're doing. So maybe a little bit of, like, a little bit of, Poor, poor, pitiful me. And I know Jackson. I covered him in high school at Midway. That's just why. That, so that's – and that might be part of what, you know, that you see that's concerns inside. It's not a culture problem, but there may be a little bit of this and that that's going on with too much me, me, me. Um, he was someone I thought would get four to six sacks this year. Uh, 15, 18 disruptions, tackles for losses, pressures. Siaka Ika, you know – He's a fantastic player against the run. He does at times just blow up the offensive line, but he's not really someone you would think was going to, like, get sacks. Here's something, and, and, and just with the secondary kind of a mess, young, inexperienced, kind of confused, I still wish they would have played Walcott at cornerback, but they, they, tried to, they tried to put him in that kind of like that star or whatever they call it uh, position that Petrie played. They lost three generational players on defense. They lost others, but they lost three. They lost Petrie and Bernard, who were their best pass rushers, and they also lost J.T. Woods, who was going to make a play every week, a big play. He did it in the Sugar Bowl. He did it in all the games. I mean, he was a uh, just a magnet for where the football was. He also was the quarterback. Tejada, who at times got picked on Raleigh, had a, like 50-something starts or whatever it was in his career, or 40-something starts in his career. They, they, and again, everybody loses players. This is not an excuse, but you ask me. Petrie and Bernard were their best pass rushers or their best disruptors in the backfield. And why? One, they were incredibly fast. All of them time great at the combine. They're both in the NFL. So is JT Woods. But here's the other thing. They were fifth-year guys. And one of the other things with that is they knew where they were going. So if you're fast, you can go from point A to point B fast. But if you know where you're going even before you start because you are so experienced because of the film and what you know about the tendencies of your team that you're playing, that makes you even faster. And I mean, when they came at the quarterback, it was hard to get them stopped. And they don't have anyone's doing that. They've tried it with Doyle. They've tried it with others. They're not getting the quarterback. And sometimes, Pete, you know, you sit there and you think, okay, this team should be. And they're not. And so they're trying to find a little something of ways to get to the quarterback while also protecting a secondary that has really kind of given up chunks and chunks of yardage, and especially on third down. What do you make? You mentioned the me, me, me. I mean, is there anything to uh, this idea of locker room distraction with Dave Aranda and Wisconsin and Nebraska kind of lingering out there? How much – is that playing a role in anything? And has there been any news or any juice on that front lately? 
really, that's been quiet. Uh, and, and let's be honest, if Baylor was 6-1, and 7-0, oh, that would even be higher like it was last year. You know, if you think about it, of all the jobs, and elite jobs, Notre Dame, LSU, Oklahoma, Florida, uh, USC, name them. All these schools opened up. Aranda never blinked. Now, that doesn't mean the reporting wasn't there. That doesn't mean the speculation or the wish list, the target, these are the guys leading candidates. None of that was true. That doesn't mean that Aranda's agent may not have been at least engaging or at least people calling him. I sit down with Dave Aranda. I'm fortunate to do it every other week, last year and this year, and I, I, we always talked. And, I, you know, Matt Rule made it clear from the day he walked on campus, one of the things his goal was to do was coach in the NFL. Well, now he's not, but that was a goal. I don't blame him. He made that clear. He made it clear to the commitments, to the recruits, to his football team, and his staff. So when he left, it was like, oh, okay. But, you know, his name was still out there even when they were 1-11. That got to be a little bit tiresome, but he was honest. And he got the job and got a bunch of money, and now he's going to be able to live happily ever after. But he'll be back in coaching, I would think, in college next year. But having said that, Aranda is a different, it's a different animal, unique, very – that doesn't mean Wisconsin doesn't mean something to him because he coached there and was really good there. That doesn't mean that Nebraska is not something because even though they've been a, a shell of themselves for a decade or so, it's still uh, the commitment there is amazing. We know that, and they're building even more, more and more and more, because they have to try to keep up with everybody. And they, man, they've already missed on too many coaches since they fired Solich, and that's another story. I have not heard anything. There's not a whisper, nothing about Dave Aranda and other jobs. So that's not a problem. Last year, there was at least some of that out there, but he answered them pretty quickly. And you had to just believe him, which a lot of people, when coaches talk, is like politicians, some of them. Mm-hmm. You don't even, okay, he's talking, that's not good. Pete, it, when, when he talks about he's talked about immaturity. He's talked about it, and you can think about the younger players who come in. They are part of a team that goes 12-2, and two, the best year ever, huge wins, win the ball game. They, they, they beat an SEC team. They win the Big 12. It's an incredible game against Oklahoma State. And some of the guys who were a part of that, then all of a sudden just feel like, okay, this is easy. They weren't a part of 1-11. They weren't a part of the dark clouds of 2016, the year that Bryles didn't coach, and they were 6-0, and and then they were 6-6, and and then they won a bowl game. They weren't a part of that 2-7. and I mean, as far as, like, a part of it, they, some of them might have been at least in their diapers, so to speak, their football diapers. I um, – I've always asked coaches this. I asked this to Bryles. I've asked this to Rule. I've asked this to Miranda. You bring in players who want to be at your program for various reasons. A lot of times success, the style, the coach, whatever, or just the dream that that school is their school. But sometimes those guys don't know how hard it was for where Baylor was for the longest of times, 17 years without a bowl game. They may not have known that, yeah, they heard and saw the glitz and glamour of the Bryles offense and the wins but they don't know how hard it was before that. They may have seen Matt Rule go to a Big 12 championship game and, you know, whatever they did that his last year, but they may not know how hard it was to turn it around from 1-11 to 7-6 to six to that. And they may not know about 2-7, and seven, and sometimes you wonder if they just expect it. Oh, like guys who go to Alabama. I mean, they have all these elite players, and we even see them right now kind of maybe – a little bit out of whack was it is it because they're just not quite as good as we thought we, they have all the players we know that or is it something now that coaches are are having to deal with uh, entitlement 
and deal with NIL and deal with guys. Why do I have to listen to you? I'm not saying Baylor has that. I just think everybody does. I don't think there's any toxicity. There's no cancer. There's nothing like that in the locker room. But there's a little bit of, like, friction when it comes to guys either. For example, I don't know if any other sport is more of a team sport than football. You could have ten guys on defense do everything they're supposed to do, but a defensive tackle tries to do something a little bit different and opens up a hole. Or a corner who tries to go for the pick when his job is just to make sure they don't give up a big play, and he goes for the pick and then they give up a big play. I think what's happened with Baylor is because some players don't trust each other, not as people, not as personable things, but they may not trust this guy to make this play or do his job, and somebody else tries to do a little bit more than they're supposed to, which now means you have two problems, the guy that you don't trust and the guy that's trying to do too much, and I think that's kind of what Dave Aranda's alluded to and what they've dealt with, especially on the defensive side of the football. Interesting. Last thing, I know you got to run, but Matt Rule, you brought him up. Uh, you know him well. Uh, what do you think's next for him? You mentioned back in college. What, what do you think he'd be looking for next? I think, you know, again, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I don't know if it's because of what happened in Carolina. And, of course, everyone's going to – people pile on when you're not successful. When he was the – you know, he kissed the ring – any, every, you know, most everybody wanted to talk to him after his third year at Baylor when they went to the Sugar Bowl. Matt Rule, to me, is a builder. He built Temple. He rebuilt Baylor. And, yes, he had some players that were back from the Bryles era, but he rebuilt Baylor. A lot of the guys we saw last year were guys that were – all of them were guys that started and came into the, the program when, when Rule arrived. Petrie, remember, was the only guy that was committed to Baylor when all hell broke loose and then the change – the transition, and then Baylor had to go out and find, you know, guys that were Charlie Brewer, uh, uh, John Lovett, and you didn't play, you know, he eventually transferred. J.T. Woods, he's got Terrell Bernard. That doesn't mean that the previous Baylor staff wasn't on some of these guys as commitments or recruits or trying to get them, but he's a builder. Some guys are builders. Some guys are take, take what after you've built the house, and then they make it look like it's a castle. I think Rule can do both. But I do think I have a sense, you know, he has $42 million coming to him because of that guaranteed contract that he got. Yeah. I think somebody put up a note, Pete, that was $840,000 a month for 48 months. That would be hard to motivate anybody, but I still think that coaching is in his blood. I have a feeling that he's already had people contact either his agent or whoever. And that might have been the case even last year when the, when the, 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 Vulture started circling the Panthers. I don't think there's any question he'll have multiple options. The question is, what is a fit for him? I think he can win anywhere. I think he can rebuild anywhere. Uh, the reason why Baylor was enticing to him was, one, they couldn't go anywhere but up as far as the, the, the way people looked at Baylor. Number two, he was going to do it right. Number three, he's in Texas where you have everywhere you look, you run into a player that's very talented in Houston, in Dallas, in San Antonio, in, in Central Texas. And so that, that's pretty nice when you can go left or right, north or south, and you've got talent all around you. You cannot do that so much. That doesn't mean there's not talent in Wisconsin. That doesn't mean you can't get talent in Nebraska. The right person can. So I do think you'll see him back in coaching. I think there's probably, and I'm not a gambler, I would think there's more of an opportunity that he'll be back in college for the next season than there's not for him just to sit there and eat 
and take $840,000 a month. He's still going to get a lot of money, no matter where he goes. But I still think coaching is in his blood, and I think eventually that's going to eat him alive a little bit, and he's going to want to get back in the game. Love it. David Smoke, Sikkim 365, doing great work there every single day on the uh, YouTube side, the radio side. I love what those guys do. David, thank you for being here. I always appreciate the time. Anytime, Pete. Thanks. Glad we can make it work, and we'll see you soon. Hey, before you leave the show, uh, do us a favor. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Always appreciate you doing that. Um, Takes 30 seconds to hit that five-star in iTunes. Leave a little review, and we'll get you a free Heartland College sports koozie in the mail. When you leave that rating and review, just send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thank you, as always, for being here. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.